at 11 times, average EBITDA multiples have reached new and lofty heights. Is European private equity too hot to handle? Or do these figures disguise some less expensive geographies and sectors? We talk all things valuations, with a deep dive into France and the consumer sector in today's Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hi, I'm Tim Kimber, Unquote's podcast producer. In this episode, we're exploring deal multiples. Unquote and Clearwater International have published Q4-2020's Multiples Heatmap, featuring in-depth analysis of the acquisition multiples paid in European private equity transactions. The report contains two deep dives, one on France and the other on the consumer sector, both of which saw heated activity in Q4. So today, our intrepid reporter Catherine Hidalgo will be speaking with Clearwater's partner and international head of consumer, Richard O'Donnell, as well as with Thomas Gauchet, Clearwater's managing partner, who also founded the firm's France branch. But first, Catherine chats with Marcus Archer, Clearwater's managing partner and head of private equity, to get his take on the report's findings and what they might mean for private equity investing in 2021. I'm here with Marcus Archer, Managing Partner for Clearwater International. Thanks very much for being with us today, Marcus. My pleasure. So my first question today, it'd be great to get a kind of outline. What did you find most interesting about the results of the heat map? Uh, Four or five things jumped out at me, um, having looked at the results. Uh, The major one was just the speed of recovery in Q3 and Q4 last year uh, in terms of deal volume um, and the consistency of that across, across all regions. I think all of us in the market felt felt pretty busy, but when you can see the statistics and you know how big that pickup was at over fifty percent of deal volumes over the previous quarter, um, it really brought the whole thing to life. Uh, the second point was overall in the year, uh, Q two and Q three felt pretty tough for all of us. Um, but actually, when you look at how the year ended um, and how low um, the drop was in overall deal volume, deal value through the course of the year, despite a COVID six months with very little activity. Um, again, showed the strength of the first quarter of the year, um, but also that speed of recovery in the fourth quarter. Uh, the other couple of points that jumped out were um, looking at the banding and the distribution of multiples um, in Q4, uh, which was pretty tight around nine to 11 times EBITDA. And I think that's been a gradual gradual tick up over time, but it's the first time over all of the years that we're doing the heat map where we've ended up with a multiple average across Europe of over 11 times, um, which I think is down to flight to quality of good quality business being very investable by private equity through the course of the year. Um, And the multiple resilience jumped out too. Every single country's multiple went up through the course of 2020, uh, which again is that flight to quality point, I think. Um, And only industrials and chemicals and automotive saw a downturn sector-wise in multiples. Uh, Automotive probably more obvious than than industrials and chemicals to why that happened. Um, And the final point that jumped out um, was the improvement in the consumer multiples in Q4. Uh, and I think all of us, you know, just think of consumer as high street retail and think that's pretty tough or think of it as hospitality and that's pretty tough. Um, but actually, the move to digital models and the move to online models um, has led to some real growth in the consumer sector, some really good deals being done um, over the later part of last year and indeed into the first quarter of this one. Interesting. Um, and we're going to delve a bit more into the consumer sector for sure. Um, but it'd be interesting um, to to get your to get your points and get your get your forecast on on how you expect multiples to develop over various different geographies and and sectors over the year. Yeah, it's quite hard to it's quite a hard one to predict. 
Um, you know, I think my overall sense is that uh, multiples should hold up across across all territories, certainly in the first half of the year. Um, but they do feel that they're quite peaky. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did cool off um, as we move into the second half of the year. Um, there's certainly some peaks that we saw in, in Q4 last year, and I think we'll see in Q1 this year. Uh, a few reasons for that. I think the major one is a bit of COVID catch up. And I think many of many of all of our clients uh, you know, were thinking about doing something in Q2, Q3 last year. Um, and those that could trading continue to be strong through the year um, all started to think about launching their process in early autumn last year, which is leading to lots of volume, volume now. Uh, there's some local factors, for example, in the UK with tax changes looming. That's driven um, high degrees of deal volume um, at the back end of Q4 and into Q1 this year. Um, but I think the big point in it all is, you know, lots of lots of people have just reassessed their life objectives post-COVID, um, and many owner managers and founders uh, are now thinking it's it's time to look for an exit and trying to create some liquidity, um, and time to just enjoy a period of retirement. So I think, you know, volumes of activity coming through, you know, post any local factors will continue to be strong as people have have made that reassessment. Um, it feels like Q2 will be overall quieter than Q1 has been. Um, but certainly picking up again in Q3, Q4, as people come out of the back end of local factors on deal volumes, um, start to prepare in the second quarter for a launch in the autumn. Uh, Sector-wise, um, I think the trend that we saw in Q4 and Q1 will con continue, um, and that's multiples in those COVID-resilient sectors or sectors where there's definitely opportunity or bot models have pivoted will be strong in terms of volume, but equally the multiples will continue to be high. Uh, the tech market in particular has been super busy, as everyone would expect. Uh, healthcare and particularly pharma life sciences has been really, really hot and would expect that to continue to be so. Uh, within business services, the tech enable part of it and the data analytics part of it has been really busy and expect that to continue. Um, and within consumer that I touched on before, uh, the digital models and the online models will continue to be hot. Um, and the final one will be financial services and you know part of the technology enablement or the outsourcing of various services to the insurance industry or wider parts of financial services will continue to be strong. I'd also expect to see automotive and industrials and chemicals to pick up again. And certainly with our business, that sector team is, is very busy in industrials in particular. Um, but one's got to think with Brexit now happened and as COVID restrictions start to release, the automotive market is going to pick up as well. Um, so I'd expect over the second half of the year, the multiples to strengthen and the volumes to pick up in both of those two few sectors as well. Oh, wonderful. Great to get your take. Um, I, I've been speaking to several market participants who've said that, you know, throughout the pandemic, they've seen uh, GPs be able to kind of act quite quickly or uh, change the way that they've they've acted throughout a, pr a process. H have you seen any ways that private equity firms have changed, you know, how they act in a process throughout the coronavirus crisis? Uh, yeah, we have yeah, at, the, at the margin rather than fundamentally. Uh, the flight to quality point, you know, definitely comes up. Um, and they've all seen an awful lot of deal volumes. They're being very picky about the ones that they, they spend time on. Uh, but the, the competitiveness of the auction processes that we've been seeing across Europe has been pr pretty much unprecedented. Um, the few things that I would note would be, uh, you know, this time around, as opposed to the global financial crisis, you know, private equity were phenomenally quick to respond to, you know, the challenges that came in the second quarter of last year as, as COVID started to bite. Uh, with their focus on their portfolios and the way they worked with banks and the way they accessed government support and the way they used the furlough scheme, you know, all the way that they invested in businesses that saw opportunities. So they responded really, really quickly. Um, so rather than being out of the market for six months, you know, it's probably only four to six weeks in reality where they were inwardly focused. Um, they've all got a wall of capital to deploy and there's many statistics in the market about how much dry powder there is 
And that's just driven a real hunger and that competitive tension between processes and funds with the need to write a check, um, say, is unprecedented. Uh, the diligence focus has, has slightly changed. Uh, you know, for obvious reasons, they're definitely digging an awful lot more into numbers to try and work out what the COVID impact was. Um, and there may be positive uplift from COVID in some businesses or, uh, you know, positive um, changes to the cost base because of COVID, but digging into what the real underlying levels of profitability are and how sustainable they are as the world gets back to more normality has been a big, big focus. Um, and the other focus has been their market due diligence, not unsurprisingly, where they're keen to understand market resilience and the outlook for markets in companies in which they're investing. Uh, we've seen a lot more uh, bilateral conversations between funds about their portfolio companies. Um, and a lot of the larger mid-market funds calling the smaller mid-market funds about their portfolios to see if there's opportunities to uh, strike some sort of deal. Um, and that sometimes led to the selling fund reinvesting alongside the newer fund coming in. Um, so it's been high levels of, of that activity happening. Some of that's about the need to deploy capital and some of it's about the need to see realisations. But we've seen more bilateral activity outside of processes than before. Um, and the final point would be um, a much bigger focus on buy and build and putting more capital behind their existing portfolio companies that have um, performed well through the COVID period and feel strong about the future. Um, the lowest risk form of capital for a PE fund is putting more capital behind a business than a management team they already back. Um, and we've seen some really aggressive behaviour, particularly in tech, um, from private equity-backed consolidators that have driven driven volume, but also high multiples. Fascinating stuff. Um, I know many of our listeners will find that very, very interesting. Thank you so much for being with us today, Marcus. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Catherine. As investors shift their focus on to defensive assets, the consumer sector saw both a sharp increase in activity and a rise in average pricing as 2020 drew to a close. Catherine caught up with Richard O'Donnell, a partner at Clearwater and its international head of consumer, to dig into the numbers. So Richard, it'd be good to know, what can consumer businesses do to become attractive targets for private equity right now? Yeah, well, I think firstly, it's it's important to understand what makes an attractive consumer business in the first place. And I think for you know everything we're seeing in the market at the moment, it's those classic attributes of um, a strong market position, you know, whether they're a number one in an established market or maybe they're the the perceived best brand in a in a new growing market where there's a few brands trying to grab market share. Um, you know, do they have growth? Is there is there underlying market growth, uh, or are they stealing share from others and growing their business that way, or or do they have an ability to disrupt a market? Um, you know, there's a few brands over over the last few years that have come in and completely rewritten the rules, and you know that makes them very interesting as well to um, to private equity. But I think you know they're the sort of underlying components. But then I think for a successful private equity investment um there's a sort of slightly different lens as well so private equity specifically you know they will they will absolutely back management teams so you know the old days of management buy-ins are um you know we don't see very many of those at all if i'm honest in our deals these days you know they're pretty much all buyouts where incumbent management teams are being uh, backed by the private equity firm so um, so the strength of that team is is absolutely critical, and then the um, 
the potential to professionalize the business is really attractive. So I would say, you know, in, in, in answering sort of the exact word in that question, you know, what can businesses do to become more attractive to private equity? I, I wouldn't say there's a whole kind of professionalization piece that people need to be worried about doing. It's more identifying the gaps in the business or the things that they could they could um, they could change with a bit of value add from a partner, private equity partner, and then presenting those in the right way. And um, yeah, we've we've got a deal on at the moment where it's a founder-owned business, and you know part of the deal is to is to realise some cash for their their blood, sweat, and tears and their hard work over the last ten years. But part of the reason for finding a private equity partner is also to, to get that value add, you know, whether it be helping them um, refine their supply chain or um, find efficiencies in their logistics and warehouse or help them roll out internationally. You know, all of that, that kind of that bread and butter for private equity that they've delivered in previous investments is, is really exciting to them. You know, a founder team might not have, might, might never have done some of these things, but a private equity fund often have, and they can bring that to the table and, and it's attractive if that's, that opportunity is there. It'd also be good to understand what is the trajectory for the recovery of the consumer sector? That's a really good question, Catherine. And I think um, when you use the word recovery there of the consumer sector, I, um, I look at it slightly differently because actually many parts of the consumer sector have performed really well over the last year. So, um, you know, if it's a a direct-to-consumer business with an e-commerce proposition, for example. You know, some of those businesses have done fantastically well over the last 12 months, and you know, we've got examples of those we're working with at the moment and getting deals done. Um, I think the question for those businesses is, what's the new normal level of trading post-COVID? Because they've had a bit of a bumper period as consumers have started to buy everything offline. But is there a migration back to physical retail? And I think the view really is that, you know, if, if there, yeah, there might be a slight shift back to physical retail, but really, you know, the e-commerce trend has just been accelerated by five years. Um, so some businesses have done really well and will continue to do so. Some have, um, have, have been sort of steady state through COVID. So, you know, if we've got one at the moment, for example, which is a, a food manufacturer supplying into grocery retail. And, you know, they've just had a a fairly normal year because people have continued to buy from supermarkets. Whereas if I look at, every, at some other areas of the consumer sector, um, you know, they've been heavily impacted. So recovery is definitely the right word when I think about uh, you know, the restaurant and pub and fitness world, for example, you know, that kind of physical, um, physical multi-site leisure part of the, the consumer sector, um, you know, that, which will, which will absolutely come back with a bang. Um you know they 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 are they're all hemorrhaging cash at the moment, um, unfortunately, because they're closed. But I think the the, the data uh, and the performance that they demonstrated between the two lockdowns or three lockdowns previously shows that they they come back really strongly and really quickly. So as long as they can survive this COVID storm or this lockdown storm for uh, another few weeks, then you know they will have a a fantastic resurgence and we're seeing lots of investors coming back from the private equity community now starting to focus on that area and you know trying to find the winners to back wonderful richard well thank you so much for giving the uh, the picture of the consumer sector as it stands thanks very much for being with us today not at all absolute pleasure Catherine. thanks for having me Unquote also took a deep dive into france 
With a strong rebound in deal doing after the second quarter of 2020 during that lockdown, the French PE market remains the busiest in Europe and deal-hungry sponsors with deep pockets should ensure processes remain heated in the coming months, or so the Clearwater International Multiples heat map has found. Catherine spoke with Thomas Cochet, the managing partner for France. I'm here with Thomas Gaucher, Managing Partner for Clear Water International. Thomas, thank you so much for being here with us. Hello. It'd be great to discuss the French market as you're clearly an expert. How, how do you expect valuations to develop for French companies over 2021? Well, the valuations uh, in France have increased dramatically over the, over the last two, uh, two years. Well, I think it's uh, similar things happened uh, elsewhere in Europe. We, we can roughly say that, uh, you know, for uh, nice businesses, uh, valuation increased by about uh, two turns of EBITDA uh, over the last two years, which means that uh, very nice businesses uh, valuations have increased from, let's say, 12 times EBITDA to 14, 15 or even uh, a higher number of uh, EBITDA multiple. Uh, the question would be, uh, have we reached a maximum in terms of valuation, in terms of uh, uh, EBITDA multiple? Difficult to say today, uh, but what we see today with uh, the uh, various mandates that we have ongoing is that uh, there is still a pressure, uh, a lot of pressure for private equity funds to invest, and they're ready to, um, uh, to pay a very high uh, valuation multiples to make sure they have the, the nice companies that are on the market. So the, the discussions we have today uh, in the, uh, let's say around 40 uh, mandates, active mandates we have in France, most of them uh, price is not really um, a problem. I mean, the seller will say what price is the good price. So if you, if you go to the market and say, well, I want 14 times a bit there for this one, if, if you have two or three uh, PE lined up, then probably they, they will just uh, uh, be aligned to pay those 40 time, 14 times or even a little bit um, uh, higher. So we have absolutely no sign of decrease in the price valuations in France. And my expectations would be that uh, in 2021, given the amount of dry powder that you have on the market, uh, these uh, levels of valuation will remain probably at the same level as, as last year. Um, um, so as many of our listeners may know, uh, France is an extremely pri um, active private equity market. It'd be great to hear um, what kind of what are some of the differentiating factors about the French market? Yes, it's, it's an interesting question because uh, when we talk with uh, our uh, friends in, uh, in the other offices in Europe at Clearwater, I'm always fascinated by the fact that uh, France is, is, is really perceived as a very transparent market in the sense that you can have information on processes very easily because people, you know, there's a lot of information of information in the market. So, it, so you would kind of quite easily know who are the competitors, sometimes what are the, the prices uh, level, what you have to do to, to, to make a deal, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this kind of transparency actually probably is one of the factors uh, that make the, the prices are so high is some of the most of the peas would tend to say that they have the last call to improve their offer 
uh, if they have the right information about what is the the, the price level to, to to reach to get the to get the deal done. Um, so it's an interesting fact. Maybe the second very interesting and probably differentiating factor is that definitely France uh, is a very very much management friendly country. Uh, meaning that uh, management packages have always been very generous in France, uh, and sometimes, in, well, very often, it, it still surprises like U.S. buyers, for example, uh, the, the kind of packages that managers have. But in a, you know, in in times like now, in those COVID times where everybody's looking for, you know, uh, very strong, robust uh, uh, companies to invest in, the managers of these companies usually they would be the one who choose their next uh, uh, PE house. And so you make you launch an auction, uh, you have several PE house uh, lined up, and then like the price that like, all the, those uh, PE house will align in terms of price, at the end, it would be the management that, that would choose and, and discuss with the PE houses and, and, uh, uh, and uh, try to negotiate the best uh, packages uh, as, as possible. And, and the level, the, the level of... Uh, uh, let, let's say management packages have increased a lot over, over the last uh, months or years. And maybe the third very interesting, uh, uh, let's say, feature of our market is those preemptive approaches. There are a lot of processes where uh, the bankers don't even have the time to write info memo. Uh, presenting this, the, the company because uh, just uh, everybody's looking at uh, uh, PE portfolios. So there are a lot of uh, preemptive approaches. Some of them are bilateral. Some of them are, let's say, uh, uh, between two or three potential preemptors. Uh, and at the end, the deal is signed when you don't have written one line of the info memo. You just have a few uh, indication from the uh, uh, BDD providers and the deal is done. So uh, probably those three features, transparency, management friendly and preemptive approaches uh, are three interesting uh, you know, characteristics of the, of the French market. Fascinating stuff. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Thomas. Thank you. That's all we have time for this week. To find out more about Q4 Trends, you can access the full multiples heat map in the episode notes. As for Unquote's partner, Clearwater International is a global mid-market corporate finance house with 18 offices across Europe and Asia with a strategic alliance with key bank capital markets in the US. Clearwater has a deep heritage in private equity and has been working with Unquote to produce the multiples heat map for a few years. So... A very big thank you to our special guests, Marcus, Richard and Thomas, and of course to Clearwater International, as well as to Catherine Hidalgo for arranging and conducting this week's interviews. Please take the opportunity to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or of course, continue listening on Unquote.com. Do look out for upcoming episodes on first-time fund managers and another on operational changes. Until then, happy investing.